Welcome on and all to episode 152 of the original Giraffe Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we are, well, we're almost to the 2022 NFL Draft, just a little over two weeks away. And, well, we had to bring another guest on to school us in the form of uh, defensive back play, and that's... uh, that's our guest tonight, Kyle Posey. Kyle, how are you doing, man? Good, man. I, I, what, it's been a couple of years, maybe two and a half years since I was on this bad boy. So uh, I think we, we had you on last year in our after our comeback. So we're uh, you oh, and, right. and Sully are annual rankings gurus. <laughs> La, low bar for the last guest, so looking forward to it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just try to make sure that uh, the, the positions that Justin and I don't know anything about we bring somebody on that at least knows what they're talking about so that's that's how we always do this but uh kp we we appreciate you joining us uh like i said your expertise uh in defensive back play makes this one of our favorite podcasts every year because well you teach justin and i some stuff as well so but we'll get started tonight um let's let's first talk about the guy that was supposed to be the next guy, the the guy that was supposed to be, you know, the Patrick Peterson of, of this draft class. And then he's just dealt with some injuries really. And that's Derek Stingley jr. After what was probably the best true freshman year of any cornerback in NCAA history. Um, he just kind of fell off the face of the earth is that something that concerns you, even though we have, again, one of the greatest freshman seasons of all time on on tape? Yeah, I think when you talk about that, he was on a national champion. He could have played on a national championship team. His coaches were talking about that when, uh, I believe it was 2019, when he joined them for the little winter practices there. And he was going, like, there's film of him going against Jamar Chase. Elite receivers at LSU when he was a teenager and holding his own for whatever reason. Well, we know the reason, as you mentioned, the injuries played a big part. But a big part of the reason that I think that shouldn't be ignored think about everything that went on in LSU. Think about everything that's happened at that school during the past two years. There's no way you can ignore that. And I know it's off the field, but that has to play a factor in um, just Stingley in general. But I mean, if we're talking about what you need at cornerback, elite recovery speed, ball skills, and just being able to stick with guys. Guys, so he ran fast, but when he ran at his pro day, it it was it didn't blow anybody away. And you're watching like the jumps and everything, all his other testing. It didn't look like a guy who was really selling out to test, which is like great to me. Um, but I think the most impressive part about his game is when the ball's in the air and he's targeted. There's a good chance Stingley's going to come down with it. You can't say that about a lot of cornerbacks. If it's almost a surprise when he doesn't come down with it, so I would be surprised if this kid isn't going to be a top ten cornerback within two to three years of the NFL. I think he's really that good, and we have years and years of tape to prove that. But of course, you're going to see whether it's the lack of production. Of course, the availability is going to be a concern. That really doesn't bother me at all. 
So, yeah, he actually was a member as a freshman of that national championship team. So that was the year it all came together. He had six interceptions. He's practicing against Chase, Justin Jefferson, and all those guys that go on to have, you know, brilliant NFL uh, rookie seasons. Jefferson is going into his third, Chase is going into his second season. So he definitely got tested in practice. They ran the gauntlet in the, in the SEC. He's defending those guys. We know a lot of receivers coming out of Bama and other teams. And, you know, it's just, I can't get over it. You know, the criticism about him is surrounding the lack of interceptions since the freshman year and that he seemed to be playing harder. You, you mentioned his pro day. He makes it look easy. Is it because he's not trying or is it because he's still coming back from the Liz Frank injury? which we know is a pretty significant injury. But doesn't this criticism, this this uh, lack of production, this he wasn't playing as hard as he did as a freshman, doesn't that sound a lot like the criticisms that surrounded Jalen Ramsey the year he came out? So I was actually thinking Derwin James because Derwin was a stud stud his freshman year and everybody was talking about, oh, he's going to be like one of the top three picks. Then he gets hurt. And then his last year, you know, he didn't have the same type of production. And then he even fell in the draft because of it. And now, sure, he hasn't been available. But when he's on the field, he's he's the best safety, if not, or he's top three, if not the best safety in the NFL. So, but Ramsey, Derwin, I mean, you can't go wrong. Think about if that's the comparison, what are we really doing here? And that that's kind of my thing. I feel like he's been nitpicked. Um, yeah, he only played three games this year because he got hurt. And I don't, I know Liz Frank is a tough injury. But I don't really know the history of, like, do guys tend to really struggle coming back from it long term? I don't I don't get the sense that, that they do. Um, whereas Derwin James had, I think, a meniscus, which is more significant with the long-term effects. So, to me, it's just uh, – we're going to do – Seth and I will be doing our, our cornerback and defensive back rankings on our Patreon show Thursday. So – uh, quick plug, sign up for that. Two bucks a month gets you the extra show. But I'll give you a spoiler here. Stingley's going to be my number one corner. And I think he's a top three player in the whole class. I don't disagree with that. And if you told me he wasn't, I would have questions. And I would feel qu- I would feel comfortable challenging anybody who feels like he's not the best cornerback. Because, again, we're talking about, like, it's a, thing of tra- it's a game of traits. And, and just uber patient at the line of scrimmage. When a cornerback is that patient, that's when you know he's comfortable with his athleticism. Uh, he's never panics throughout the route. As we're talking about just his workouts and you know recovering from that, Liz Frank, like easy, not not just patience, but um, not being able to panic. The twitchiness was there. I don't want to get into like super buzzwords, but understanding route routes and like understanding what the offense is going to do. And I'm going to get into this the more we talk about other cornerbacks, but some guys you can tell they're athletes but they don't have like the right base. Like they're not comfortable with um, just their footwork, for example. And like none of these are issues with Stingley. It's again, it's, it's about what, what happened to LSU off the field, um, his injuries. And then just, I think it's safe to say like what, this was a question with both Derwin and Jalen as well. Like if they're in their last year and they need to make a business decision on maybe three or four plays a game, Make the business decision. Like, why wouldn't you do that? You have a bright future. So, again, like everything that I've seen from him from 2019 to this past season, like my mind hasn't changed. It's so obvious that he's the best cornerback in the in this draft. And 
yeah, I think it's it'd be hard to find five better players in him. Let's talk about another guy that has a lot of hoopla, and then all of a sudden the um, off season came, and all and now we're nitpicking things, and that's Kyle Hamilton of Notre Dame. Um, we still see that he's a top five, ten player, and a lot of big boards and things like that, but now all of a sudden he's falling down mock drafts. That may not be indicative of what the NFL thinks of him, but it also may be one of those situations where people are hearing like, oh, they're not going to take a safety in the top five. Like, come on. So, like, with Hamilton, was the 40 time that big of a deal, or do you think this is more like people starting to catch up to what the NFL actually thinks of a safety prospect? Yeah, I don't think it's a knock on Hamilton. And we have to remember, like, he's a big guy. He's 220. So if he were to come out and run a 4-3, 4-4, a low 4-4, that would be new. So for him to run the time that he did, that sounds about right. And I think he kind of plays to that speed. But again, we're talking about so a 220-pound safety who can do whatever you want him to do. Like if you're on defense and you need a plug-and-play Derwin type, he can go wherever you want to. But he's a safety, and they don't view that position the NFL doesn't view that position as like a top five, top 10 type. So it's not going to be a surprise to see him fall to the teens, but he's very good. Like, and, and when we're talking about his game on the field, you're going to have a hard time poking holes. So he ran a four, five, nine at the combine, but Daniel Jeremiah caused a huge stir when he was talking about Hamilton's pro day time and the text that he was getting from other, from scouts from the pro day saying that Hamilton was running the low four sevens. Now, if you look at the combine 40, he ran a four five nine and he was zigzagging like all over the track and Lake Stingley, he, he was coming back from a lower body injury that knocked him out for the season kind of midway through for Notre Dame this year. So my question is why would Daniel Jeremiah cause that stir with that four seven two when we already had a four five nine that we knew wasn't his best. Um, I, I just don't understand why he didn't try and downplay it. Like we've seen uh, a lot of media types do when something like that happens. Was there a team in his back pocket telling him to do that? Um, I'm not saying we have the combine for this. Like, the, well, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing for you, but the whole point of the combine, especially for a guy like Hamilton is essentially for them to rest on their times. Maybe he thought he was going to run better and he didn't. Maybe something was off with his start of the condition, whatever it may be. But no, that I agree. And I saw a couple other people bring up what Jeremiah uh, just talked about. How, like, why? Why is the question? So I don't know, but I, I really don't think it's going to affect him that much. And I, I think this is something that, again, based on his play, we're going to be laughing at just uh, in a couple years from now. I think the answer is pretty clear. Mina Kimes said that Kyle Hamilton was the best <laughs> player in the entire draft. Daniel Jeremiah is stirring up the four seven two time. There's obviously some kind of feud there. I'll let the listeners uh, sort that out. Something's got to give. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, DB prospect is being the most overrated right now, Kyle? So when you look at these mock drafts and probably the sec the third corner consistently is Washington's Trent McDuffie. And I, I've watched a good bit of him. And when I watch him, you can tell that he's a good player. You can tell that he's going to start in the NFL for a long time. 
but I don't see these top 15, uh, top 20 type of cornerback. And I know that, you know, Washington's known for putting out great DBs. And, you know, when you see his highlights and when you're on Twitter and you see people talking about him, you'll see the closing speed, you'll see him blitz, you'll see the open field tackling, you'll see the willingness to come up and run support. But as far as like actual coverage skills, what his teammate was asked to do compared to what McDuffie was asked to do, one was asked to do top 15 things and execute at a high level, whereas the other one, McDuffie, he played a lot of off coverage to the field. You are not going to get a lot of first round tape in that sense. And that's not to say he did that every snap, but I would say about six out of six or seven out of 10 snaps were off where he's just backpedaling and not really, I don't want to say in the play, but he's not the main priority in the play. But again, his strengths, speed, um, he's, he can tackle, but when he's in the face of a wide receiver, which is, I feel like those are the reps we should be paying attention to when he's in press technique, you don't see the same type of reactive athleticism as you do with Gordon. So um, I, I think he's closer to like a mid-second rounder than, you know, a top 15, top 20 guy where he's being mocked at. And I, I just don't see that first round tape in the games that I watch from McDuffie. I was I was uh, texting with Emery Hunt, who, as you as listeners know, he's been a guest on the show as well. Uh, shout out to Emery, by the way. His draft guide is available. Pick that up. It's a thousand prospects. I'm not even kidding you. This thing is enormous, but... Um, I was saying to Emery that it, watching uh, McDuffie was like watching the defensive version of Traylon Burks because I felt like he's like a defensive gadget player, and that's how in the, in the way they use him, like not necessarily the way he projects, but you the way you described it is much more sophisticated, Kyle. But he's he's playing in all these coverages that it, it's just kind of like they're moving him around all over the place to defend these these guys in motion and things like that. He seems to project to me as a slot defender because he's got the short arms and he's good at playing the ball and things in front of him. And that's what all the highlights of him are. That's what the, that's what all the big plays that he makes in games are. It's all the stuff that's in front of him. So um, I think Seth, maybe before we went on the air said he's like a, a better version of Byron Murphy or something like that coming from the same school. Is that right, Seth? Yeah, I said actually a, a, a worse version of Byron Murphy. <laughs> Sorry. Which, and Murphy was what, third rounder? <laughs> no, he was a second rounder, but I mean, still okay. like you look at it, he, you know, it was but not top 15. No, and that's and that's the thing. And so, you know, some of the athletic comps that come out with him are really interesting because and, and to your guys's point, it kind of makes sense of where he should go and w- what he should play. So McDuffie, like athletically, comps out closer to like a, a Jordan Whitehead, who has been a really good safety in the NFL, um, you know, just got a big contract, I believe, from the New York Jets. Uh, you know, played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he was like a fourth round pick. Like guys, McDuffie's size. Like when you look at his like actual size measurements, he's he's a a smaller dude, and he's got short arms, and he he did run a, a good forty. You know, at four four four, but it's not like he was running something in the low you know sub four four times. Um, I just, 
I kind of agree with you. Like I see a guy that can be moved around and more is, is more of a chess piece than he is this top 12 player that is a lockdown corner. And I think so, we read a hot take about that on Patreon last week, right, Seth? It sounds like you're agreeing with the take. Kind of. It, it's more like I wouldn't say that I agree with him being, what did they say, like a game wrecker or whatever it yeah, was. Honey, ba- honey badger. Yeah. No, it's more like I think that's his. I think that's his best chance to be highly successful in the NFL. So realistically, he's go- at his size and knowing what he's done, like the his press technique and his strength, like those are two of his biggest issues. If those are your two biggest issues as a cornerback who's undersized and you already don't have the type of on-ball production, it's easy to have some doubts. And for whatever reason, those things are being ignored. Think about it. On third down, let's say he gets drafted to the NFC West. DK Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Sammy, whoever it may be. He's going to have to outmuscle those guys and beat them to the spot on these timing routes that are coming back to the football. I don't think that's going to happen. And those, again, that's not like outliers or just, you know, using straw man arguments. That's what he's going to have to do on a down-to-down basis. And, man, I, from what I've seen from him, I'm not betting on that in the first round. So who is the most underrated defensive back prospect as we head in? We're, we're about two and a half weeks away. Who's the most underrated DB right now? Hope I'm saying this right. Um, Kyrie Elon from Florida. Okay, yeah, that guy is legit, legit, and it's not you know he's not under the radar because I imagine he's being mocked in the top fifty universally. If not, he should be. But to me, from when when I talk about understanding route, you know routes and just knowing what the offense is trying to do, he has the acceleration. I've seen him turn and run with guys who ran four threes. I've seen him, you know, be physical and jump receivers at the line of scrimmage. And when, I've also seen people say that he's a little stiff, but to me, it's more of his technique. So I've seen him just shoot with a wrong arm and that locks his hip. When you do that, like, as I mentioned, it's going to lock your hip. That's a technique issue. That's not him, you know, being or struggling to change direction. So when, when I watch him, I think he is going to be very, very good at the next level. And I would be very surprised if he doesn't end up as, you know, one of the three best cornerbacks in this draft. And he I've seen him whiff in the open field a little bit, but I've also seen him make so much so many plays in coverage. And again, just from a technique standpoint of just staying square and finish from the beginning of staying square to having the closing speed to recover to finishing the play like routinely, he does the right thing. And when that's the case, like it's easy to see. A guy like Elam, just he's going to be a baller at the next level. He tested very well athletically, too. Um, I've seen some people want to move him to, in their rankings, want to move him to safety. Does that make any sense to you? I don't know why you would, because he can he can run with the guys who are outside. And if anything, you're limiting, you know, especially if you're going to take him in the first round or in the top 50. Like why would you move him maybe further, further away from the ball or, you know, in the middle of the field when you, you need a guy who can and I think he's actually a very good slot defender as well. So you have a cornerback, you have a matchup guy who can move inside and outside. Leave him there. Let him cover the guys, and um, he's he's going to do that very well. One thing about Elam and uh, Derek Stingley Jr. 
both guys still only 20 years old. They won't turn 21 until month, month and a half um, from now. So these guys are really, really young, and they're already playing at a high level in the SEC. Man, my, my just looking at my notes from him, there's a lot of positive. And the, the only real issue that I had with him is just, you know, consistent effort as a tackler. But as I talked about with Stingley, a lot of them look like, you know, he doesn't really want to mix it up because of where he was at that point in the season with Florida. And there, I'm not going to knock a guy for that. I wouldn't have tried either. I was on that Florida team. Not going to lie. <laughs> right. uh, so when you look at this draft, Kyle, and you can, whether it's corners, safeties, or if you want to mix them in, who are your top five? So Stingley's one. And after that, I, I would go Gardner because he is very good. But I would go Elam as CB3. And I don't know what we're going to get from Booth. Like, Andrew, we haven't talked about it. Clemson, Andrew Booth, we talked about it a little bit before we got on here. I don't know, you know, if he'll be able to, if he's going to be a guy who's going to consistently miss games. That's never something you want to bet on if he's coming into his rookie season with an injury. But he's in my top five, too. I actually think, though, Kyler Gordon is going to be better than people think. Um, he was, he was like a legitimate chess piece where he's playing inside, he's playing outside, he's playing over the ball. Um, they, they almost use him as a safety on, on passing down. So I would go Kyler Gordon and then I would go, uh, Booth afterward. But there, there are a lot of guys who I feel like will be better pros. I like Nebraska's cornerback quite a bit. I think, um, Auburn's McCurry can play, uh, <laughs> I'm naming a bunch of corners, but I'm not naming McDuffie. I, I think he's fine. I just don't think he's a top five in this class. You want to give us your, your uh, top five safeties too? Yeah, so it is Hamilton. And I think with Hamilton, when you watch him play, you don't really – so he doesn't look like a 4-3 guy, but he always gets to where he needs to be. And you can tell – it's almost like like Mike Trout in the outfield. He's getting a great jump on like the ball. And that's really what Hamilton plays like. He is like one of the smarter players. And again, it's just understanding what the offense is going to do to you, um, whether it's route concepts, whether it's you watching a billion hours of tape, knowing just preparation wise. So I think that's where Hamilton's real advantage comes from, just being ahead of the, a step ahead of the game. Um, after that, it's Georgia safety, Lewis Seen. To me, like, and if I were to combine these guys, he would be like, he's up there. I would put him above Sauce Gardner. I would put him above – he's – if if Kyle Hamilton is 9 out of 10, then Scene is like 8.7 or 8.5 out of 10. He is up there. I don't think he has many flaws at all. His closing speed is insane. He finishes through the play. Um, he can match up in the slot. He's, he's running with guys on slot fades. He's running with tight ends on inbreakers. And then, like, his trigger, like, he's very willing to come up in run support. And even the plays where he misses a tackle, he's on like the right hip. He's he's funneling him to where the defense wants to go. So if you name it, if you're listing like top five things, what you want a safety to do, uh, Lewis Seen is there. So I think he's number two for me. I like Jalen Petrie quite a bit. Also like Dax Hill. I don't know what order I would put them in um, just because of the different body types. I think it would depend on what you're asking them to do. So we'll just go tie there. I also like um, Brisker from Penn State. I think he's an athlete. It probably just needs to hone in his skills a little bit. And, and by that, I mean be more of a football player and less of just relying on his athleticism. 
but I think he's going to be a stud at the next level too. Those are all excellent names. I know some people back to scene. I mean, I'm a huge fan. Uh, you and I were talking about him via text last week. Uh, so I knew I had a little preview that you were going to mention him tonight and that you were high on him. Um, that guy really came into his own this year and he made some big plays at the most key moments as they came down the stretch and won that national title. And then, uh, you know, I would put Daxton Hill probably over Petrie, but those three guys that you named there at three, four, and five, those guys all fit too. Brisker is a, a player that I know some people even liked to project him during the season as potential uh, slot corner or maybe even a move to corner. So I, I wouldn't do that, but I think uh, he's he's on he's a, a little bit bigger than uh, Petrie, but you know Petrie was a guy that uh, draft Twitter really became ultra aware of during the senior bowl while he, while he was covering these big tight ends and he's only like 5'10", 5'11", under 200 pounds. But if you look at his stats at Baylor, he was, he was doing ridiculous things. He had 18 and a half tackles for loss. So this little guy, big hitter, uh, only thing I think you worry about there is maybe that he's going to get hurt because he's smaller than the guys he's taken on. I also think you don't want to pigeonhole him into because you hear the word safety. You don't want to put him back there at center field and have him play in that post. And now he can't affect the game in the same ways he did at Baylor, where he was blitzing. I think he blitzed more than any safety because he got home. Like he's good at it. Why wouldn't you let him do that? And just affecting the game near the line of scrimmage um, as well. But yeah, I think Petrie is going to be a guy who really shows out at the next level if he gets into the right team. While we're enjoying this, I've got a beautiful hot take for you guys because, you know, why not? And it it involves uh, my Arizona Cardinals, so we can just always roast them as things go. Uh, Jordan Schultz on the Twitter, at Schultz Report, UW football cornerback Trent McDuffie is a rising star. Eagles, Cardinals, Ravens, Saints, and Bills are all in on him. Um. Of course, you know, the Cardinals would want another redundant type of cornerback that plays similar to all the corners they already have that aren't great, right? If he comes to the NFC West in with Cliff, they're going to cook him. <laughs> like he think of, like they have so many big receivers in this division and of course just in the league in general. I don't know, man. I, and again, it's it feels like just poo-pooing him and act like he doesn't have any skill. And he does. But we're ignoring a lot of flaws. I guess I don't, maybe flaws is too strong, but we're ignoring – I think we're, there's too much projection because we see, as Justin mentioned, he's coming down here. Like we see a lot of positives. But cornerback, you have to be able to go the opposite direction and be comfortable doing so. Also, without being out-muscled by guys who are going to be probably – 10, 15, 20 pounds heavier, and maybe a few inches taller. Is the is the arm length a really big deal? Because uh, you mentioned McCreary. He came out with really short arms too. Um, you know, with McDuffie having the short arms and not having the on-ball production, we saw with McCreary, he still gets his hands on a lot of pass breakups, a lot of picks. Uh, you don't see that with McDuffie. So is it a bigger deal for him than it is for McCreary or another guy like that? Didn't Elam have short arms too? 
Elam and Stingley's are both uh, under 31 inches, but they're on the, they're over 30 and a half. So, I mean, they're, it's like a full inch or two longer arms okay. than what McDuffie, McDuffie came in, let me get this right, uh, 29 and a half. He was 29 and three quarters and uh, McCreary 29 and a half. Both these guys are shorter than than uh, Stingley and Elam too. So Elam's six one and a half, Stingley six foot, and uh, McDuffie is five ten and three quarters. So you're giving up a lot of length overall in terms of height and, and arm length there. Yeah, and I think it's more about strength than arm length because those aren't the like I don't have any strength issues. So when you're in a position to contest the throw, like a guy like McCreary, he's probably going to have the strength to jar the ball loose from your hands, whereas you don't see that with McDuffie. So I think that's maybe the bigger the bigger issue. Anything else before we get out of here? Why don't Kyle? Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you and where you know hustle your products? <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm at KP underscore Show on Twitter. Um, I don't really tweet much because it's fake. So <laughs> I don't want to invest a lot of my time in Twitter. Um, I'm on NinersNation.com. I'm gonna. Ch- I need to rev up my draft work, so I'll probably drop some cornerback and safety rankings and just do some more draft profiles on these guys because I feel like there's a lot of groupthink and there's a lot of um, just regurgitating what you read on one side and there, there's too much of that going on and there's not enough uh, individual analysis. So maybe that's what I'll spend my time doing these next two weeks. I'm telling people what these players are actually like instead of um, what you read on ESPN.com. And that's why we love having you on the show because you, like Seth and and myself nowadays, we don't spend time on Twitter. So we don't really uh, know a a lot about what people are saying about these guys until we come up with our opinions first. And then we, we try and, and and then I scour the hot hot takes for the, yeah, exactly. And then we just try and bring (laughs) people on to gently tell, everybody how wrong they are right now yes that's how you do it right there (laughs) we kid thanks everybody for listening uh subscribe give us a five-star review we're gonna be uh seth and i'll be doing some more rankings of our own next week and then before the week of the draft we're gonna get a mock draft out there too so um thanks everyone for listening and uh everybody have a great night We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly.